Well, good morning. It is good to see everybody that's here and know that you're out there. Um, it, I want to remind you to, if you have not taken that survey, to go ahead. We still have time. Uh, they want them compiled this week, so please take that. This is the last of our soul reset. We'll talk about what we want to do in our classes um, during this week, but I'm excited about our next series. It doesn't, series, it doesn't have a book with it, but it's called The Inequity of Grace, and it's about how just grace is unfair. And we'll talk more about that over the coming weeks. And I'm also excited about it because it's uh, the scripture passages that we have uh, when we deal with uh, this series is some of the uh, foundational scriptures uh, that we need to know if we're going to understand grace and what Jesus has done for us. All right, so this is our last of our soul reset. I hope this has been a, I know our classes or our time together has been great. Um, I hope you have enjoyed this. I hope that it uh, will continue to go with you, the things we learned, and, and especially the emphasis about our souls um, and the, the condition of our souls, that we look a little deeper than just the surface of our lives, but how is it, ask that question, how is it with your soul? Uh, so I hope that uh, goes with us. All right, our scripture today is a familiar one. One of the verses is very familiar to everybody. It's out of the Gospel of John, beginning in uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Listen for the word of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son to, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I pray that you would guide the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth, that all that hear them here this morning, Lord, would receive the message that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I, uh, I'm a self-confessed uh, ID channel watcher. Anybody watch ID channel? I was probably a little obsessed with it. I don't watch it nearly as much as I did, but I know a lot of stories. Um, and one of them that, was, that interested me, it was very bizarre, was the story of Thomas Whitaker. Uh, he was a young college kid. This took place back in 2003. Um, that he, would, he got lost he, um, as far as just his life and uh, was lying to his parents about college. And one thing led to another, and he orchestrated uh, the murder of his family. Um, it, it, his roommate was to um, come out, uh, ambush them when they got back from his birthday dinner. His parents were wealthy. This was down in Houston. And... Uh, when they got back from Thomas, his nickname was Bart's birthday dinner, there 
the roommate was waiting and he shot the mother, he shot the 19-year-old brother, he shot the father, but the father lived. And they eventually caught him and he went to, well, he went to death row. And it made news in 2018 because uh, he was in, in the hospitality um, visiting his family 30 minutes before his execution. Uh, Governor Abbott uh, gave him clemency. 30 minutes um, before he was about to die, he got a call that he wasn't going to die. And they commuted his sentence to life without parole. And a lot of that had to do with his father. His father was a very religious man. He lived, uh, he bullet was six inches from his heart, but he lived and he pleaded with Governor Abbott to give his one remaining son, uh, well, immediate family member, to give him clemency, to spare his life. He said he, it would just be another devastation, and, and he did. One of the few that Governor Abbott did uh, gave him clemency, and he was saved. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because oftentimes when we read John 3.16 and we think about uh, this scripture, we, we don't read 17 and 18, but we need, and I think sometimes we misunderstand. We read it from a perspective of, you know, I need to find Jesus or else I will be lost or I'll be condemned, right? But the reason our scripture says, and in our book, it talks about that Jesus did not come to condemn the world is because the world's condemned already, right? If, if we look at Scripture, now I know this might sit, not sit well with some because humanism has crept into the church and we think everything is good and rosy and we're, we're basically good, but that's not what Scripture tells us. That's not what our experience tells us. If you watch the news now, that's not what the news will tell us, the things that are going on in our world. Uh, but the world says, or the word says, we are separated from God. We are born into sin. We are born separated from God. I want to give a little review of something I said a few weeks ago, and that's this idea that of our soul, that we are born, and when we are born, our soul has a little remnant of life left. But it is, we are separated from God, and if we do not get reconnected to the very source of life, the spirit which we are separated from, that soul flickers out. So we have this lifetime to get reconnected to the creator, to the very source of life, to get reconnected to God, and we do that through Jesus Christ. And so it's, we need to make sure that we understand that Jesus came... In, in a way, we get clemency, right? We, we are spared of our natural consequences. Apart from God, we can do nothing. We are born separated from God. And left to our own devices, we will remain separated from God. And so Jesus did not come to condemn the world because the world is already condemned. It is through Christ that we are saved, that we are restored, that we are made into a new person, a new beginning. Jesus says in, 
uh, John 3 tells Nicodemus that you must be born of the Spirit and of the water. We must be born of the Spirit, reconnected to the Spirit. And the reason this is important is because how we view our Christian life, how we view church, our mission, and how we approach other people all depends, uh, do we understand that we were condemned and now we're saved? That we have been uh, regenerated in Christ? Because that's going to tell us how do we share our faith? You know, we, we talked to, Josh and I were talking this last week, and we were talking about um, the night of hope, right? And I, I just think that's a great thing. And we were talking about people to give their testimonies. And, and the, the reality is, when you start thinking about congregation and giving your testimony, it's hard to find people that are comfortable giving their testimony. Some people don't even realize they might have a testimony. But if we are in Christ, we all have a testimony. It might be like a Josh or like myself where we were just hooligan kids and, and crazy and wild and the Lord came in and uh, saved us and made us new creations in Christ. Or it might be that you always grew up in the church. And you were surrounded by the love of God and, and the grace of Christ. And you came to accept it for yourself. That, that's the way God prefers it. The, the testimonies aren't as juicy, but that's a much better way, right? For all of us that went the other way. But we all have a testimony. And if we believe that it is in Christ that he saves the world, he, he reconnects us to the very source of life, to reconciles us to God, then if we truly believe that, we are going to want to share this good news. That's why it's called good news, right? It's good news. Thomas Whitaker, in that last 30 minutes, he got some good news. And when they said that when that phone call came, his, his dad started crying and they were clapping and they were cheering. It was good news. He was condemned and now he's saved. That's good news. And if we believe that in ourselves, then we will want to share that with the, pe with the world. Sometimes as church, we have to be careful that we don't begin to get internal in the sense that we just think about ourselves and what church does for us. You know, I, I often will, will hear somebody goes through some very difficult times in their life. Uh, maybe it was a passing of a loved one. Maybe it was financial situations. But you'll hear testimonies sometimes where people say, I couldn't have lived through that without my church. And I praise God for that. And then I think about uh, somebody else out in the world going through a similar situation without a church, without a body of Christ to surround them, to love them, to encourage them. And that motivates me. I said, I want to go find those people and tell them they don't have to go through this world by themselves. I want to share the good news that there's people that want to surround you and encourage you and love you. I want to share the good news about what Christ has done for me. And if we understand what Christ has done for us, and we understand there is good news in our lives that has come and, and altered the course of our lives, then we're going to want to share that. 
But we have to be careful as a church that we don't get too comfortable in our surroundings that we just look inward. I, one of my churches, I won't say which one, we had a, uh, we had a secret shopper that came to, that we weren't selling anything. It was just kind of say, give us their impression. It was part of a conference initiative. And boy, it was kind of ironic. They were, we, we had good marks, but I wasn't, I was expecting this. They said we weren't a very friendly church. Boy, you should have seen how mad that church was when they were told they weren't friendly. They were not very friendly <laughs> to the person that told them that. But they were friendly to each other and to a guest if they happened to see him. They were just so wrapped up in their experience that they, were, they didn't mean to, but they were ignoring people. And it was the, the person that came in that they, they ignored, said no one said anything to them. And that was a harsh reality, but churches get like that. We, churches can get, um, in a sense, be, become country clubs, become organizations that are very internal focused. We have to have, as uh, he says in the book, well, I, I've kind of altered it a little bit, but we have to have a culture of invitation. You know, one thing has not changed about how your church grows. It with, even with all the social media we have, especially as much as we have now, still the number one way that people come to a church is personal invitation. Personal invitation. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we inviting people? When people come in, are we, are we focused on the visitor? You know, I had a friend who was deeply involved in AA, and he used to tell me a lot of the people in his AA group didn't go to church because they thought, you know, well, one, that was their church. And they thought oftentimes their experience in the church was that it wasn't sincere, it wasn't authentic. It was more, it wasn't really about healing and soul care, but it was just more of an organization. And there they had healing. They had people. And you know, the most important person at an AA meeting is the first time visitor or the one that has come back. There's a scripture, right? right? In Luke, we talk about the one that strayed. But that is the most important person. The one-time vision, the one that is seeking, the one that wants to be healed, the one that is looking for uh, regeneration and healing of their soul. Man, they're, they're, they're so happy that they're there because they know if they're not there, it's death, right? It, it, that's salvation for them. And we have to, we're talking about spiritual, real world stuff. And sometimes we just live on the surface in our faith. And we go to church and we do church stuff and we pray and we're churchy all the time. But, but this is about salvation of our souls. This is about soul care. This is about soul reset and sanctification. We were, the, the reason the good news is so good is because the bad news is so bad. And the more that we realize that, 
the more excited we will be. There will be a culture of invitation. Because we have had some glimpses of what society looks like when God is not involved. I mean, you might be able to pick some out recently. But you definitely can look back in history, look back at Nazi Germany when God was removed. Look back at Stalin um, when God was removed from a society and, and the hate and the killing and the destruction and the godlessness is just, it's devastating. And so we have got glimpses of how serious it can be this God thing, and what God has saved us from. And I'll tell you, as we move into the future, it's, it's the, the church culture, and I've had this conversation with some folks, the church culture is shrinking in our country to a degree. They talk about, you know, the days of going to church for social pressure, the days of going to church for business reasons or to look good in the community, those days are gone. You don't need that anymore. You're not going to get those folks. So if you're a churchy person, it's depressing times. If you're a gospel person, it's exciting times. Because it's getting real. And we're going to have to be authentic. And we're going to have to offer not just a nice service. We're going to have to offer Christ. The one that can save our souls. The one that can redeem us. The one that can change us, sanctify us. People are going to be, that are going to walk through those doors. Or that we might invite in our communities. The ones that are going to come are really looking for healing. Really looking for God. And we have to be serious about it. We have to be authentic in our faith because people are going to see right through it. The good news is so good because the bad news is so bad. And as we move into a new future after the pandemic, there's a lot of people that are realizing, hey, maybe I'm not as in control of things as I thought I was. People are realizing how important it is to be in community with one another. People are thinking about their mortality, thinking about uh, chaos. And people are looking. Their suicide rates are up. Alcohol abuse is up. Abuse in general is up. All these things are, are on the rise. And so in the midst of the darkness, the light will shine even brighter. And people will be looking. And so we need to be serious about our faith. We need to know that this is more than just church and gathering once a week for an hour or so. But our faith needs to be a part of who we are. It needs to be, uh, uh, we need to have a culture of invitation. You know, especially now, we, we, can, we don't have, even have to invite someone to church. We can invite someone to watch. 
Because there's people out there that are hurting. There's people out there that are searching. And we, God said, he didn't just bring us together so we could be in community and encourage one another and lift one another up. That's part of it. But we are the, the harvest that becomes the workers, right? I was part of the harvest at one time, and now I'm a worker to go out into the harvest. Scripture tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need some workers, and we need to share our faith. We need to ask, what has God done for me? Answer that question. Uh, Peter, I believe, says that we should always be prepared to give a statement about our faith. We should always be ready to give an account about our faith because that might be the one thing that brings people to church, that brings people to Christ. And there's going to be people out there that I'm going to be able to reach. There's going to be people out there that I'm not going to be able to reach, but somebody else might be able to reach. That they, they resonate with their story or they resonate with them. So we, it, it, we all need to be part of it. We are condemned, but now we are saved. That's the good news. I just think about that Whitaker and the grace that his father showed him. And, and the love, and I mean, that, that, that's beyond my comprehension. I would have trouble. But that's the power of the story, too. It's a witness to me. He was condemned, and now through the love of his father, he has been saved. And not just from the death penalty, maybe for eternity. That's between him and God. But that's the power of our God. Our God can redeem us, transform us, save us. And the stakes are high. And I, I could go on and on, but I just want us to sit with that as we come into communion. And think about it. Sometimes we just go through the motion of communion. But this is how Jesus, he gave his life that we might have life. No greater love than this, than someone would give their life for another. And Jesus gave his life that we might have life. Through his death on the cross, he met the requirements of the law and the justice of God. And through his resurrection, we are raised to new life. We are born of the Spirit. When we die to our will, we say, I don't want my will. I want your will. We reverse what Adam did in the garden when he chose his will over God's will. And I know I've said this in classes, but I want us to think about this. And in the garden, another garden, Jesus said, I'd rather not go through this. He stated his will as a human. If you can take this cup from me, take it. And then he said, but 
not my will, your will be done. And when we accept the sacrifice that Jesus gave his life for us, the sacrifice Jesus did for us, then we no longer, we say, I don't want my will, I want his will. And we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. And through his death and resurrection, we are born of the Spirit. And we are reconnected to the very Spirit of life. And we have life in abundance, not just here, but for eternity. That's the good news. There's no better sermon than communion. There's no better sermon than the Lord's Supper, than the symbol of the broken bread and the cup of, that symbolizes the shed blood. That, that Jesus came and gave his life that we might have life. And the question for us is the question that he posed at the death of Lazarus, right? There he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those that believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. Do you believe this? I think as Christians, we need to ask ourselves, do we believe this? Because that is not just something that you just casually go gloss over. I am the resurrection and the life. And those that believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. Do you truly believe that? Because that is powerful, good news. And if we truly believe that, we're going to want to share that good news with those that are hurting, with those that are lost, with those that are suffering. I'm the resurrection and the life. Those that believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. Do you believe this? Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for your love that motivated you to go to the cross that we might have life. Lord, I pray that the, the glorious, powerful truth of that would sink deep within our souls. Lord, that it would revive us, that the hope that that would bring us, Lord, would motivate us to live more fully for you and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with a hurting world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.